Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me is a very special guest, Robert Kreider. He has held the position as Devereaux President and CEO since July of 2004. What is Devereaux? It's a very interesting organization. I believe you're in 12 states. They deal with people who are battling some challenging issues such as autism, and this is really a topic which is in the news all the time, and uh, Mr. Kreider is going to be able to talk a lot about that. We can talk a little bit about uh, the situation with measles, the vaccine, and a lot of the different controversies surrounding that, so it's really a great time to have him with us. And first of all, Mr. Kreider, welcome to the program. My pleasure to uh, join you, Brian. Thank you. A little background on Mr. Kreider. He actually holds his Juris Doctor degree from the University of Pennsylvania and a Master in Economics from the University of Pennsylvania as well. And as I mentioned, he joined Devereaux back in December of 1994, and you spent a number of different years in that role. So let me start right away and just talk a little bit about, um, for the audience who may not know, what is Devereaux and what does it do? Devereaux is a 102-year-old organization founded by a Philadelphia schoolteacher. Um, one of the amazing things is a woman who started a, an enterprise before women had the right to vote. Um, and over the last 102 years, it grew from a very small school uh, into one of the largest not-for-profit provider of mental health and developmental disability services in the country. You got the number right. We're in 12 states. Uh, our home base is in the Delaware Valley, Philadelphia, uh, South Jersey, um, almost a quarter of our services are there. But we are in Florida and California and all through New England. Originally, we're primarily residential services, but almost all our services now are in the community, although we still have campuses in several locations around the country, serving in group homes and on campuses about 2,500 individuals residentially and more than 15,000 uh, individuals in the community. Again, with mental health issues, and that's mostly kids, but individuals with developmental disabilities, including autism, uh, of all ages. So let's talk a little bit about with the kids, the mental health issues. Are we talking about depression, anxiety, those sorts of things? We're talking about a wide range. We have both the uh, fragile child or also the uh, conduct disorder or the uh, uh, very aggressive child. So our services right in the Philadelphia area are sort of a, a small version of all of Devereaux, and they include a small psychiatric hospital uh, for um, the psychiatric issues that we deal with uh, with kids. Um, and, and residential programs for kids with those challenges. Um, but we also have uh, other campuses where we serve primarily the conduct-disordered kids. Uh, Mr. Kreider, when we're talking about conditions like this, I know as a primary care doc who sees patients every day, a lot of these things are very difficult not only to treat for the primary care physician, but it's, it's tough to get the resources and the access uh, to get your patients the care they need in many cases. I know, at least in the community where I practice, it's tough to get psychiatric services. It's tough to get inpatient services are difficult. There, there's a lot of problems beyond the fact that these are very complicated cases that you really can't see in 15, 20 minutes. It, it takes time. For primary care doctors who are listening to the program now, what do you suggest? What are the ways, such as Devereaux and others, to try to get the assistance that you need? Well, we're... we're uh... 
trying to look forward and, and look to better days. The idea of, of integrated care is hopefully going to make some impact in that in that area. Um, Devereaux is is trying some demonstration projects and and uh, where we would put um, behavioral resources uh, in primary care physicians' offices um, to using a public health model, um, both training the other professionals in the office some basic things to look for in everyone, but then also being available, hopefully in person or by phone, for consultation on uh, more serious uh, issues once they're, once they're identified. Um, those resources are not in place in most places. Um, as you referred to psychiatric time, uh, there is both a shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists in the United States, but also a very uneven distribution uh, across the country. There are, in general, plenty of child and adolescent psychiatrists in the major cities, um, much more difficult in more uh, rural environments to even get the attention of a child and adolescent psychiatrist. So it, it is a challenge. And when you bring it up, it's interesting. I know, um, you know, obviously in primary care, we're looking at the patient-centered medical home and trying to have resources, whether it be a dietitian, whether it be a social worker. So the behavioral health clearly plays a very important role. And I'm interested in the fact that you're saying you're kind of not as much in one, you know, beautiful palace. You're spread out in the community, and that would seem to fit the model of what you're trying to do with integrated care. Absolutely. And the payment models are not quite there yet to, to, to make this work. But we think as people uh, get into more capitated arrangements, our proven ability um, to work with behaviors and manage behaviors will really point to significant uh, cost savings. And, and, and so uh, the models will develop. Um, some statistics, and I can't give you the, the, the source exactly. It's a governmental source, but estimated that uh, more than 7 of 10 presenting problems in a pediatrician's office have a behavioral component. And so a lot of what pediatricians are doing is trying to impact behaviors, um, and that's something that we know a lot about. And in your background, you served as an executive officer at a capital advisor organization. So, I mean, you're looking at it from a business standpoint, and I think essentially that's what we need to do more and more in healthcare. Like with limited dollars, how do you use those dollars to help the patients in the greatest ways? And you see that there is potential light at the end of the tunnel here with some of the changes. I do my best to see that. I, I, <laughs> there's a lot of good conceptual work that's been done, but but. It's pretty heavy slogging in the uh, in, in the trenches to get the, the payment mechanisms lined up in an efficient way. You know, uh, many of uh, many of your listeners, I'm sure, are, are wrestling with uh, electronic um, records, and and those are going to be essential to a lot of this uh, integrated care. And um, we're we're really still struggling with making them as efficient as they need to be. And I think even your present hospitals, I know from board meetings and things in the hospitals, they're still worried about, you know, uh, basically the inpatients and the procedures and the laboratory tests and all those different terms that they've worked on for so many years. It's hard to kind of shift 
a way that people are thinking. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care today on ReachMD. I am Dr. Brian McDonough, your host, and I'm speaking with Robert Kreider, and he is the CEO of Devereaux, and he is also here talking with us about a number of health care issues related to those who may have certain mental challenges and psychological challenges. And clearly, I know a lot of the work you, you do and a lot of the work that Devereaux is known for is in the area of autism. So I do have some general questions. Again, I don't expect exact answers because you know, I don't know if there actually are exact answers. But what is your latest understanding of why we have seen such a jump in the number of cases of autism? Is it that we're able to diagnose it better? Do you think it's something in the environment? Do you, do you just think um, you know, we're more aware? What, what's your take on it? Well, as, as you suggest, there's not a clear answer. I mean, we, there is significant research. There's a major CDC project called the SEED, S-E-E-D project, which is taking a very comprehensive look at trying to understand better the environmental factors. At this point, all we can say is we're pretty confident um, that there are environmental factors. Not only are recorded incidents uh, increasing, but there's also geographic uh, differences. The incidence rate is much higher in both both coasts of the United States. It is, it is in the interior. Could be an environmental factor that differs. Uh, could be a difference in, in the diagnos- uh, diagnostic approach with more of the um, psychiatric resources on the coasts than in the interior part of the country. So we do have pretty high level of confidence that it has a significant genetic component, and we know that through, through twin studies and the uh, incidents where both identical twins have autism or, or both do not um, gives a pretty clear signal that, that there is a significant genetic part of, of autism, but it's not the whole thing. You know, the, the, the one that became the most popular was uh, a linkage to vaccines. And fortunately, one of the things that's come out of the recent conversation in the, in the popular press has been to uh, have leading voices, again, make clear that there is no connection there. That, that is one of the few things. In the medical world, we live with very few truths with a capital T. We have to... We have to find a sort of operating truths, um, and for that, um, with the vaccine question, despite uh, a 1998 study that got uh, was was later um, found to be fraudulent that that indicated a strong connection, um, a very long series uh, of studies, both in the United States and even more so in Northern Europe, where they had more consistent public health records uh, where they were able to look historically um, at um, the incidence of um, uh, autism, uh, both in vaccinated versus unvaccinated uh, kids. And all the signals are very clear there that there is no relationship. It's interesting how you mentioned, I do agree, the, the recent firestorm of publicity surrounding it has really served to educate the public more. Uh, we've done a couple programs on primary care today. We interviewed uh, the bioethicist Art Kaplan, and it just in some comments that I made in social media, you know, talking about the importance of getting facts right and understanding that the vaccines are important, they help prevent disease, and they're not linked with autism. I have never seen so much support 
for comments through social media. Like, I thought there might be a lot of people out there saying, oh, no, no, no. I, I really believe that the information, as you say, is out there, and people now understand uh, overwhelmingly that there is an important need to get these vaccines for the general public health. But also, uh, if if you have a reason not to want vaccines, clearly it should not be a fear of autism. At least at this point, the studies are showing that and showing it quite conclusively. Uh, I couldn't agree more. There was a, I was very pleased. There was a CBS study poll um, uh, within the last week and a half, and it was very good to see that everybody was saying, no, everybody should get vaccinated. And that showed less fear than, than, than I've seen in, in prior uh, questions. Uh, everybody saw um, a physician, Rand Paul, made a statement which was interpreted as, as uh, anti-vaccine or, or questioning uh, vaccines. And he, within a few days, said, I was not suggesting causality. Yeah, he <laughs> and, had to backtrack and, pretty fast. <laughs> yes, yes. And... and uh, I think people notice that. Um, with Robert Kreider, we only have about a minute left. I wanted to ask you one last question. It's more or less a, a question just, um, you know, career paths and what you've done. You obviously have chosen, you can do anything you want in the business world. You've chosen to work with Devereaux, to work with people who clearly need uh, that added support. Um, have you found it rewarding for you to be involved in this role? After uh, a career as an investment banker and uh, a bond lawyer, uh, it's it's by far the most important work uh, I've done uh, in in my career. I'm very proud of the work we do. Uh, I I have friends and an extended family who've dealt with serious mental health issues and and developmental disabilities, and I know what importance uh, the work of of helping the families, helping the individuals uh, to maintain a level of independence. Um, and and growth, personal growth. Thank you for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate that. We run out of time, but I also want to let those of you know who are listening, if you missed any of this discussion, you can visit reachmd.com slash primary care today to download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. I want to thank everybody for listening, and most importantly, uh, Robert Kreider, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Brian.